Good morning. Keep your Bibles open, of course. Hopefully you won't put them away because we'll be referring to this passage as I speak to you this morning. We are here to worship the Lord Jesus. There are so many times uh, when perhaps you might come to a Sunday morning message expecting uh, maybe to hear the uh, five steps to, to be a better parent or to be a better husband or to be a better child or whatever the case may be. Sometimes there is a place for such sermons, and uh, the, certain, the Word of God certainly has practical examples of how we can live more like Christ. But this morning is not one of those messages. This morning doesn't have much of a focus on us at all. And you know, uh, sometimes it's just good to come and gather for the express purpose of worshiping the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we're here to do this morning. And so hopefully... I'll be able to convey some of that passion to you as it's conveyed in the scriptures to us. My sermon title this morning is Unequaled. Unequaled. There is no equal to the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we open up this book together, we find that is the exact focus that is found throughout the pages of this entire letter of scripture. When I say the word unequaled to you, you might think of several different individuals in the world or people who lived in times past who excelled at what they did. Think of some current people that live today who are unequaled in their particular field of expertise. Usain Bolt is one such person. At 29 years old, perhaps you've heard of him, he's the fastest man alive. He currently holds the world record for the 100-meter sprint in just 9.58 seconds, which he achieved in Berlin in 2009, beating his own previous record of 9.69 seconds at the 2008 Olympic Games in Beijing. Brian Shaw is another such person that we might consider unequaled. He is regarded by many as being the strongest man alive. At 33 years old, he's credited with squatting 825 pounds, benching 535 pounds, and deadlifting 985 pounds. Uh, He and I go toe-to-toe. We kind of, you know, we have friendly competitions I'm I'm just slightly behind him. Uh, Or you think of some amazing individuals in the past. I just gave you two examples from our our present day, right? Many individuals we could think of in history were unequaled at what they did. Leonardo da Vinci, in many ways we could say he was, and still is, unequaled in what he did. He was an inventor, a biologist, a scientist, an engineer, an artist, and much, much more. Though he lived some 500 years ago, His paintings, such as The Last Supper or The Mona Lisa, are still some of the most famous in the world. And we could go on and on. Napoleon, William Shakespeare, George Washington, Aristotle, Alexander the Great, Albert Einstein, Mozart, Beethoven. All these men could be regarded as unequaled in their day and maybe even to the present day. But you know what? For all uh, these many men that we have, as great as they were, all of them pale in comparison to one individual who lived on this earth. There's only one who could be truly described as unequaled. Only one who stands above all others, and his name is Jesus. He is worthy of our praise this morning. He is worthy of our time and consideration. And so today, 
as we gather, as we study the Word of God, I don't have a practical list of how to do this or how to do that. I come simply with a message to you about the greatness of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you've come expecting that, then hopefully you'll be happy this morning. You'll be pleasantly surprised and drawn into worship. That's my goal, and I pray God would do that. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, uh, we need your help this morning. Uh, We are so often distracted by the many things that go on in our week, and we lose sight of what matters the most. And I pray, God, that I wouldn't get in the way of that, that your Holy Spirit would cause the Scriptures to shine through to us this morning, to behold this glorious truth of the superiority of our Lord Jesus Christ. Make that very real to us. Impress that upon our hearts. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to study this book, the book of Hebrews, specifically chapter 1. The whole theme of the book of Hebrews is the superiority of Jesus Christ. And you could go throughout different chapters and see how Jesus is superior to angels, he's superior to prophets, he's superior to the the sacrificial system, to priests, all of these different things. But this morning, of course, we don't have time to talk about everything. We're just going to focus on chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. And it talks specifically about the supremacy of our Savior in a specific way. And that is this. Jesus Christ is the superior messenger of God. Jesus Christ is the superior messenger of God. What do I mean by that? Well, throughout the entire Bible, we see that there are three major roles that Christ fulfilled. Three major offices that are often talked about. And those are a prophet, priest, and king. Maybe you've heard of that before. Prophet, priest, and king. Those are three very specific offices that we find scattered throughout the Old Testament. You had prophets, you had priests, and you certainly had kings such as David and Saul and the like. And Jesus, as he's prophesied about in the Old Testament, is prophesied as fulfilling all three of those offices perfectly as being the perfect prophet, the perfect priest, and the perfect king. This morning we're going to focus on the first of those three titles, and that is prophet. The entire book of Hebrews talks about how the Son of God is superior in a great many things. Here in chapter 1 we'll see the specific focus is that he is the perfect prophet, the perfect revelation of God, the ultimate messenger of God. He is superior to all others that came before him. Now, why does that matter? That's really the question here, because I'm going to get into some theological language, and we're going to go through this verse by verse, and you're going to say, Pastor Dave, I've heard this all before. We've probably even read this passage at some point in the past, and really what you need to be convinced of is why is this worth listening to? I'm going to get to that at the end. But first, let's explore what Jesus is, who he is, why he's so worthy of our praise, and then Hebrews will tell us why all of this matters. The text illustrates our idea in two ways. Jesus is superior to all of the Old Testament prophets who came before him, and two, Jesus is superior even to the angels in heaven. And as far as outlines go, that's pretty, pretty easy to follow, hopefully, uh, for you. As you look at verses 1 through 3, I want you to look down in your Bibles, just so you can see this very quickly. Um, Jesus is described as being superior to the prophets in verses 1 through 3. It starts out very clearly. It says, in the past, God spoke in all these different ways by the prophets. And that's the guiding word in those first three verses. Then, as you move on to verse 4, then you will see it says, having become as much superior to the angels 
to the angels. And then you'll see all these Old Testament quotations. And if you have a study Bible or a certain Bible that indents those quotations for you, you'll see they're all kind of smushed to the side. And each one's introduced with this thought, to which of the angels did God ever say? To which of the angels did God ever say? And so you can see, we break this down in a very simple way. Two points. Verses 1 through 3, he is superior to the prophets. Verses 4 through 14, He's superior to the angels. That's how it divides up. If you want to draw a line through there, if you like marking things up, you can do that. That's how we'll, we'll divide it up this morning. So let's get to work. Hebrews 1, 1 to 14, uh, starting with verses 1 through 3. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And we'll stop there for now. Okay. So I like to outline things. I, like to, I, I just like to organize things by thought. And one cool way that you can use to, to study the scriptures, I encourage you to try this sometime. It really helps if you have a computer at home, although you can write this out by hand. If you want to take a portion of Scripture sometime, you're reading it, you're studying it, you want to learn more about it, you can take it, copy the the text, maybe from an online website like BibleGateway.com or something, copy the whole thing, paste it into Word, and then just kind of hit Enter after each new thought and kind of outline it that way. What I find here is you have one main thought in these three verses, that Jesus is superior to the prophets, And then the rest of the material that follows answers the why question. Why is he superior? And you could look at each of these things that follows as being another reason why he's superior to the prophets. So you say, God spoke to us in many times, many ways by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Boom, that's the main idea. Then if you had a computer or if you wanted to write this out, next line would be why. Because... He appointed him heir of all things. Next reason, he created the world. Verse 3, he is the radiance of the glory of God. You see, all these things just line up nicely as reasons that support the main idea. Try that sometime, and you'll, you'll find you'll be able to organize and think of Scripture a little bit differently. But what's amazing here about the book of Hebrews, I think, is that it doesn't read like an, another letter of Paul. Okay? We don't even know who the author of this is. Unlike the other letters that come before it, you know, in the pages of Scripture, it doesn't have an author for us. It doesn't have a date. It doesn't have a recipient list saying, you know, this is Paul, written to this certain church in this certain city because of these reasons. We call it a letter. We call it an epistle to the Hebrews, which is a fancy word for letter. But really, what I, what I found out as I was reading some of the commentaries and things this week is that really uh, commentators like to regard it as a sermon, And that's pretty cool, because I never thought of it that way. As soon as I read that, I looked at Hebrews in a whole new way, and I'd encourage you to think of it that way as as well. It's not so much of a letter. I mean, it is in the sense that it was delivered to a certain group of people, and it was intended for an audience, but it's like a written-down sermon that was meant to be delivered and read aloud to people, because he starts not with a, hi, this is Paul, or hi, this is whoever is writing the letter, but he gets right down to business. He says, long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. You see, it's not like a gospel. He's not telling all the details of what happened in Jesus' life. It's not meant like Luke's uh, gospel, where he's trying to record everything carefully in an orderly fashion. And it's not like a letter, 
at least as we often see it in, in the hand of Paul, where he's going through a list of all the circumstances that are going on in the life of the church. It's a sermon. He's expounding on the significance of something. He's saying, now that all this has happened, Christ has lived on earth. He's been risen from the dead. Let's explain what that means. Let's explain the significance. And he goes into these theological sections, and then later on he interrupts it and gives us the significance as to why he's saying what he's saying. Pretty neat stuff. Um, And so this morning, I'm preaching a sermon on a sermon, which is kind of weird. Twilight Zone, okay? Just try and wrap your mind around that one. But uh, it's pretty cool here. So in the beginning, the author of the book is trying to give us a perspective. He's trying to give us the big picture to wake us up and remind us just how privileged we are to be living in the time that we are living. And you know, we often forget that. It's so easy to forget that of the billions of people not only that exist now in the universe, but like people who existed throughout all time, what are the chances that you could be born and be here just at this particular moment in history, in this particular town, at this particular time? We could have been born anywhere. You know, God could have chosen to have us born in in a country where it wouldn't be... um, you know, an open thing for us to proclaim our faith, for us to be here, to gather this way this morning. There are people in the world right now, you realize, who cannot do this very thing. Can't gather in comfort, can't gather in a nice pew, in a nice building, hear the word of God preached. And we could have been one of those. We could have been born at a time uh, earlier than than now, long before now, uh, at a time before all the, the modern medicine exists that we have today. We could have been born in a different family. Maybe you've grown up in a particularly good family, a loving uh, father and mother, or brothers and sisters you get along with. Uh, Okay, maybe that last one isn't so likely. But um, uh, the other other thing, maybe you're just in a good situation. We didn't have to be born into that. Why are we born here? Why are we right now? Why have we uh, been created in this particular position? We lose sight of how privileged we are to be born where we are when, when we were. Um, and and the, the text is making a point here theologically. We are blessed to have been born, to be living in a time after uh, the point where Christ came on this earth. We have been born into the new covenant. And it's saying long ago, it was not so. Long ago, God spoke to his people in, in the form of prophets, in visions, in dreams, all these different ways And while that may sound kind of cool to us, oh, it'd be kind of neat if I was a prophet or if I could receive a dream from God or a vision, they were sporadic. They were kind of all over the place. Every now and again, God would reveal something, but then there would be periods of silence. And even then, it would only be revealed to some of the prophets, not to everybody. So as glamorous as that sounds, it really isn't. And in fact, all those things that we now know to be true about Jesus Christ, they only could hope for. They only had these little glimpses of what he would be like. Mostly people were wondering at that time before Christ, who would this Messiah be? What would he be like? Even the apostles, once they saw Jesus Christ in the flesh, didn't fully get it. So we are blessed to be living in the time that we are living in. By contrast, since Christ has come into the world, we are blessed far beyond what we often Realize We no longer have to wait for a word from a prophet. In these days, it says, in contrast to the old ways, God has spoken to us by his own son. We no longer are hearing just from prophets who, while they were certainly inspired by God, had not seen heaven, nor could they see God face to face. 
Rather, in our era, God has spoken to us in a superior way by his own Son, who dwells in heaven itself, who he himself is God, who knows everything perfectly. This should change the way that we read the Gospels. Sometimes we go in our Bible reading as if we're just reading another chapter. You know, we've got our our to-do list, we've got to check off the, the reading for the day, and we move on. We read the Gospels as we would just our, our previous day's work. And sometimes we can even get to the place where we read the Bible like we read any other book. Like these are some wise words from somebody who lived long ago. This thought of how we are so privileged to live in this day and age and recognizing who it is that's speaking to us should change the way that we read the Scriptures. The Gospels especially. When we realize that we have the very words of God's Son speaking to us, whereas previous generations did not have that. When you read the Gospels, remembering, remember that you're reading the words of somebody who is the heir of all things. Look in chapter 1 of Hebrews, verse 2, the second half. It's called the heir of all things. Uh, you're reading the words of someone who created the world, verse 2. Someone who is the exact radiance of God, verse 3. And you're reading the words of the very person of the Godhead who sustains the universe. Verse 3 as well. How amazing is that? Jesus is not just this gentle guy that we see in all the popular Christian paintings. You know, with the long flowing hair and and he's holding the baby lamb and he's patting the little children on, on the head. No, he's the one who the Father appointed the heir of all things. Chapter 1, verse 2. That means that everything that exists is his. The ground that your house rests on is his. The earth that we live on, this massive rock floating in space, is his. The stars, the planets, the galaxies, everything that we can think of is his. Um, We were just watching a video in in YF um, a few weeks ago, and actually I think we, we watched it here as a church on a Sunday night a few years ago. It's called How Great Is Our God? It's a talk by Louis Giglio. Um, how many of you remember that? With all the stars? Okay. I thought some of you might remember that. And he talks about just the immensity of, of all these stars that exist in the galaxy and how great our God truly is. And he mentions a bunch of them, ones I can't even remember the names of. Beetlejuice is one that's easy to remember, right? Um, or Beetlegeese, I guess, is another way of saying it. And I was looking this up just because I forgot the statistics on it. Um, it's, it's got a, 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 a diameter of 102, I cut that off, 102, I think, I was going to say million miles in d- diameter, I think that's right, 102 million miles in diameter, this star is, and it's 643 light years away from Earth. 643 light years away from Earth with a diameter of 102 million miles. Okay? That's how big this star is. Impossible for us to conceive, and yet Jesus Christ sustains that star. Jesus Christ created that star. This is the person we have speaking to us in the Scriptures. And these stars that are light years away from Earth, they're not far away from Him. They're already close to him. That's the kind of prophet that we have. Not only this, but he's also the agent of creation. Verse 2, the third part of that, 2C, if you want to say it that way, says this, through whom, that is the Son, also he, the Father, created the world. 
So here's what's amazing. The one that gave the Sermon on the Mount is the one that brought the first life into existence. The one who changed water into wine is the one who created the first grape. That's amazing. He is the exact radiance of God. Verse 3, the first part of that verse says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And that's an absolutely beautiful verse, almost poetic in nature. I love reading that. The radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. The Son of God radiates the glory of God. You think of, of the sun when you read that word, radiates. And we may not be able to get close to the sun, okay? but we can feel the effects of the sun. We can feel the heat. It radiates down on us. And just in the same way, the Son of God radiates the glory of God. We have known what the glory of God is like because Jesus Christ has come into the flesh and he's revealed to us what true righteousness looks like in the flesh, as it were. I think of John 1.18. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. So even though we've never seen God face to face, the Son of God came to earth and radiated the Father's glory. The prophets, on the other hand, were merely men, just delivering a message. But Jesus was God in the flesh, the very radiance of God. And the text says he is the exact imprint of his nature. The word imprint here was originally used, it's not found anywhere else in Scripture, but the word that's used here is used often in ancient Near East literature of describing the process that was used to to create a coin, the imprint. You think of of that image of Caesar that was on the coin when Jesus uh, talked to the Pharisees about this. It's that imprint, that, that image that's pressed on. And as we see that Jesus came into the flesh, revealed what God is like, he is the imprint then of what God is like. We can look upon him and see the character of God. We can see what God's nature is like. Jesus said in that passage I was referring to, he said, then give to Caesar what is Caesar's when he held up this coin and, and it had Caesar's face on it. And also we could say this idea of imprint bears the idea of authority, the idea of ownership, that just as this coin that had Caesar's face on it indicated that it belonged to Caesar, so too the, the fact that uh, Jesus Christ has the imprint of God. It shows the authority, the authority of God that goes with him, that he comes in the Father's authority. Additionally, our text tells us that Jesus is superior to the prophets because he is the cosmic sustainer of the universe. Hebrews 1.3 says, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Isn't that amazing? Just think of the great mystery that we celebrate at Christmas. To think that this tiny infant that Mary was holding in her hands was at the same time causing all the stars in the sky and the galaxies to exist. He was sustaining them at that very moment. Isn't that amazing to think about? That wonderful paradox, that wonderful mystery. It reminds me of the hymn, All Glory to Jesus, which we sing often here. It says, To think that the guardian of planets in space The shepherds of the stars, the shepherd of the stars, is tenderly leading the church of his love by hands with crimson scars. Think of how many people walked this earth and met Jesus face to face who had absolutely no idea what his power truly was, what it consisted of. How many people just spat in his face and mocked him and walked by him as he was hanging on the cross, making fun of him, having no idea that here was the individual who holds the universe Together, what grace he showed, what mercy he demonstrated. 
But what I want you to see as you look over these three verses that we just talked about is that Jesus is not just another great prophet. He's not just another messenger. And in other religions, that's exactly how he's regarded. Other people have no problem viewing Jesus as a real individual. People who are uh, Muslim or people who are Buddhist or people who are Hindu. They would say, oh, I believe that Jesus existed. He was just another prophet, just like a long line of other people who might have come into the world and said some very good things. But here we see that that is not a valid way of viewing him. The Bible doesn't allow for that kind of interpretation. It doesn't just say, oh, he was a nice guy who taught a lot of nice things. No, either he was who he said he was, or he was crazy, or this was all made up. But I think we have a reason to believe that all of this is real. My point is saying that you can't just have a middle-of-the-road opinion about who Jesus is. The Bible doesn't allow for it. Either he was the real deal, or we have no reason of being here today at all. But the Bible does portray him as being better than a prophet, better than any prophet that has ever come or will come. He is the sustainer of the universe, the creator of everything. I've said often in our Sunday school class, we've been talking about um, Just Do Something, a book by Kevin DeYoung, and it's talking about the will of God. And, and I've said many times in that class, it can be really tempting for us to say, boy, I wish God would just reveal what he'd like me to do in a vision. You know, sometimes I don't know whether I should choose college A or college B, if I could do this job or this job, or if I should move here or here. If God would just reveal that to me in the clouds, boy, wouldn't life be easier. But then we remember, the prophets did receive visions, but boy, they don't have, they didn't have what we have today. They don't have the written word of God before them like we do now. They didn't have the fullness of everything that they prophesied about revealed to them like we do now. It's easy to long for those things, but what I want you to do is come back and realize what privilege we enjoy. Jesus is better than the prophets we've already mentioned. Now moving on to verse 4, he's better than the angels. He's a better messenger than the angels. This is significant because to some people, being visited by an angel sounds pretty neat. Um, A number of years back, angels were kind of trendy, if that even makes sense. People had angel pins, you know, almost like guardian angel pins. And years back, there was touched by an angel and all these kind of things. Uh, It was kind of a buzzword, I guess you could say. Maybe not so much these days, but still, people would say, if I could be visited by an angel, or even the idea of, oh, maybe I passed an angel in the street, that sounds kind of mysterious to some. But what the text tells us here, Hebrews 1, starting in verse 3, it says, he is the radiance, this is Jesus, the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels, and that's the key part, as the name he has inherited is much more excellent than theirs. And from there, the author is going to launch into several Old Testament quotations where each of, uh, in each of them, the author asks, to which of the angels did God ever say? And each quotation will illustrate how the Son of God is superior. Now, I could go through and illustrate for you where all those come from. I'll leave that to you to to kind of look up. And this is just a helpful tip. If you ever notice, there's these little superscript letters in your Bible, whether it's a study Bible or just just a regular Bible with columns or maybe footnotes at the bottom. Those are cross-references. And you can look into these, and if you see something, usually that's indented, 
most of the time it's an Old Testament quotation. And you can see a lot of these that are being listed here are Old Testament quotations, and you'll see a lot of them come from the Psalms. So on your own time, if you want to, you can just go back and look um, you know, at the Psalms that they're based on, and sure enough, this author is quoting Psalms and Deuteronomy and some other places. If you have a phone, it's even easier. You can just tap on it and it brings you there. Okay? So if you want to be super extra lazy like I am, you can just you can do it that way. Um, but it's, it's kind of neat. So uh, I'm not going to get into all those different quotations. I just want to give you the meaning, give you the impression here. How is Jesus superior to the angels in heaven? Number one, again, this outlines very easily, just like I said for the first part. He has a superior name to them. Verses 3 and 4 say, After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become much superior to the angels, as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Now, Jesus is known by many names in the Bible. And it's saying his name is more superior to them. So let me just take a little bit of audience participation at this point. Okay? What names uh, is Jesus known by in the scriptures? Just shout them out for me. Savior? Yes, I heard that. Wonderful. Prince of Peace. Counselor. Messiah. I heard one back there. Counselor. Emmanuel. Yahweh. Jehovah, the bread of life. Oh, this is wonderful. This is wonderful. Look this up. Oh, it's an easy thing to Google, okay? And again, I keep making all these tech references. You know who I am, okay? This is just what I do. Look up the names of God and you can find it listed, okay? Even if you don't have a biblical library or whatever, you can look up all the different names of, of Jesus that are given in the scriptures. And we just named some wonderful examples of that. So there are many names that Jesus is known by. The Lion of Judah, the King of the Jews, the Rock, the Firstborn from the Dead, Lord, Master, Chief Shepherd, Rabbi, the Passover Lamb, Emmanuel, the True Light, the Bright Morning Star, the Second Adam. On and on we could go. But you know, for our passage today, there's one specific name that the writer has in mind as he's thinking about above all others. What name is that? Can somebody shout that out for me? The sun. The sun. If you said the sun, you were right. And how do you know that? Because you can see in the context. If ever you want to answer a question in the scripture, look in the context, right? Verse 5. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son? You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Angels are called sons of God in other passages of scripture. If you look in the Psalms particularly, you'll find that. But that's with a lowercase s, and that's in a more general way. What he's talking about here is not that kind of designation of son. What he's talking about is a unique position, a unique title that no one else bears. And and in the scriptures, Jesus is the only one who is properly called the son. This word son has many layers of meaning in the Bible. We think of son, and we think purely of a family relationship. We think of a father and a son in terms of human relationships. But in the Old Testament, another thing I want you to see here is not just that relationship, but the kingly relationship of that word as well. The term son could also be a technical term for the anointed of God, for a king. Psalm 2, verse 12, and you don't have to turn there, I'll just read it for you. It says, kiss the son, which is a reference to the king of Israel, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. See, that's a reference to the son in the Old Testament, but it's a reference to the kings, okay? 
Psalm 72, 1 and 2 says this, Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. Okay? Again, a reference, those are meant to be in parallel to each other, and it's defining it very clearly for us. The king, the king is, is described as being the son. And it says in verse 2, May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. And even in the original context of the psalm that Hebrews 1.5 is quoting here, and again, if you look at your little uh, superscript letters, you'll find this out, it's a reference to the king. Psalm 2, verses 7 and 8, it says, I will tell of the decree, the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. You know, the psalm is more than just a reference to King David. You might say, well, how is this a reference to Christ if it's referring to the kings, right? This is a type of prophecy that we don't often think about. We think of prophecy as being a direct you know, statement of what's going to happen in the future. And certainly we have a lot of those. Micah 5.2 speaks of the, the Messiah being born in Bethlehem. But there's a lot of things also that the Bible calls prophecies that are allusions to the Messiah. Things that had an immediate reference in the Old Testament that also pointed forward to something future. One who would come who would fulfill that title entirely. And this is an example of that, where there was an immediate fulfillment in the kings of Israel, but also an even greater fulfillment in the coming of the Son. And so it has this double reference. Micah 5.2 references, and I just, I just mentioned this verse, how Jesus was that king that was promised, this ultimate king. It says, But you, O Bethlehem Epaphra, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth one who is to be ruler of Israel, whose coming is from old, from ancient days. There is a prophecy right there that points to the coming of a future king, one who would fulfill the office of the line of David. This pointed forward to Jesus. So when we come to this text this morning, which says that God calls Jesus his son, it is a combination of all these things. It's saying that he is a son in the sense that he is the ultimate king that was promised to come. And yet he is also in that familial relationship that we think of. He, he bears a unique relationship to the Father that no one else can claim. He is the Son in that intimate relationship kind of way. He alone can bear this title. He alone is the Son of God. And the point is none of the angels can claim that. None of them can. His status and his oneness with the Father are unequaled. And all that leads to another reason why Jesus is superior to the angels. And that is because he is the one true king. All the angels in the world worship him and not the other way around. Hebrews 1, 6-7 says, Again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all of the angels worship him. As it goes on, you'll see all these other reasons why Jesus is superior to the angels. Okay? He's, he's the firstborn of the world. Not that he was born or created, but he has preeminence over all the world. He is worshipped, and the angels are not worshipped. Verse 7, it says, He makes the angels winds and ministers of flames of fire. The idea is they are ministers He is the king. There's a difference in role there. Another reason, verse 8, it says, But your throne, O God, is forever and ever. He is the true king. He is the one who is righteous. He is the one God has given the scepter of reign to. And verse 10, another reason why Jesus is superior to these angels is that he laid the foundations of the earth. He is eternal. He has existed from eternity past, it says. When you read uh, in verse 12, but... You are the same, and your years will have no end. 
To which of the angels, verse 13, has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Jesus is superior to all of these beings. So why does that matter? What's the application here? Like any good sermon, Hebrews tells of its significance. And that actually comes in chapter 2, which I'll just read the first few verses for. Here's the, here's the main idea. Here's the reason why we went into all of this in the first place. Therefore, it says, in light of everything we just said, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, that's Jesus, and it was attested to us by those who heard, that's the apostles, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. That's a reference to Acts. You see the big idea. We started off by saying that Jesus is superior to the prophets. He's superior to the angels. Well, why should we, why should we care about that point? Why does it matter? It matters because when we read these verses, it shows that these are important and that we need to obey what we have in front of us. Let me ask you, what do you do with Jesus? Are you somebody who is still on the fence about what you think about him? Have you fully placed your faith in Jesus Christ before? You can't have an on-the-fence kind of opinion about him. Either you throw all this away, or you say, wait a second, these scriptures that are talking about him have something to say. These prophecies really did come true. There are a lot of things that were written about him hundreds of years before they ever happened, and they demand my attention. And if you're a Christian here today, if you've said, okay, I've, I've trusted in Jesus, I, I've gotten that far, how are you living for him right now? Are you obeying the words that are revealed to you? Because it's saying, if the prophets told these things to the people that were around them, and their disobedience resulted in their judgment. How much more must we listen to the one who has communicated to us, who is the Son of God, the one who created everything, the one who upholds everything by the might of his power? We have a superior prophet. We have a superior messenger giving words to us this morning, words that we are to follow. And how closely are you following those words today? That's the charge that we're given from Hebrews. Pay close attention. Pay close attention. Revere the Son. He is unequaled in this universe. There is nobody like him. The words he offers to us in Scripture are not suggestions. They're his commands for how we can live holy and to become like himself. And if we love him and if we've taken that step to believe in him, then we should follow him with all of our being. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, at this point, uh, all of us need to ask that question of ourselves. To what degree are we following the Son of God? God, this is not a question I can answer for each and every person gathered here. It's something only you can deal with the individual one-on-one. So God, I ask that each of us would take a close look at our lives that we would consider who Jesus Christ truly is, all that he has done, all that he continues to do as the king of the universe who reigns right now, as the one who is sustaining our very breath, sustaining the earth that we are living on, sustaining the galaxies 
and the stars that we will never, ever see in person. Things that are too vast for our comprehension. God, may we consider who Jesus truly is, and in light of that knowledge, follow him and worship him all the more. May you fill our hearts with worship, not just in this day, but in the way we conduct ourselves, the way in which we speak about you to others, and the way in which we seek to honor you in our homes and our relationships. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.